Today, if you uh, would open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 5, we're going to continue our series in the book of Daniel. Uh, chapter 5 is a new era. Chapters 1 through 4 involved King Nebuchadnezzar, but King Nebuchadnezzar is now dead. And his offsprings are starting to fill in and take over for him. I'd like to start with a little bit of a historical backdrop of the setting of chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to do it, um, and just to let you know that uh, historians don't all agree on the exact dates. Some are within a couple years of each other, to me, but the lesson for today is um, those details I'm not too worried about. Um, we're looking for principles and relevancy to our day in life, so there's plenty of principles for us to learn from. But according to the consensus Nebuchadnezzar died about 561 B.C. And then Babylon fell in 539 B.C. That's 22 years later. And Babylon's falling occurs right here in Daniel chapter 5. So uh, with that being said, there were several short timers that succeeded uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Some say two, some say three, but regardless, they didn't uh, rule for, for a couple years. But then there was a man that came and ruled for nearly 20 years. His name was Evil Murdoch. And uh, Evil, I'm not calling him as an adjective. That is actually his name, Evil Murdoch, at one, bit, one time. And the consensus is he started ruling about 555. Now, it's interesting. <clears throat> Evil Murdoch was, uh, by all accounts, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's gr- uh, son-in-law. Evidently, he married Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, and with these short-timer successions, he finally stepped in the throne, and and his reign was the one that took. Now, Belshazzar is the son of evil Murdoch. So Belshazzar is uh, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. I know right here in the first verse or two, it talks about uh, Belshazzar being Nebuchadnezzar's son, but many times in Scripture, any time a male descendant is speaking, it talks about that. Jesus Christ is the son of David and, and things like that. So a male descendant is often called a son, even though there are several layers of genealogies in between. The other thing is, is um, Evil Murdoch was, uh, was the reigning king. And again, as I, I share this, this is my, my, my thought. Um, some of this is, is guess, and I'm putting that forward. But I had to uh, read history through the eyes of Scripture, and there was plenty of things forecasted in Scripture. If you would read Isaiah 13, Isaiah 44, Isaiah 45, many of these names and people were forecasted to have happened 150 years beforehand. So this scenario of history, I chose history that matched Scripture, but at the same time, sometimes historians agree or disagree a year or two, and again, I'm not that worried about it. But Evil Murdoch was um, king of all of Babylon, and he evidently dedicated part of this province of Babylon to his son uh, Belshazzar. And that's exactly what happened when we go back to Nebuchadnezzar. He was given a partial providence, and his father ruled, and when his father died, he took over. Well, Evil Murdoch took off, and he was going to take on the Medes and the Persians, So he took an army, he left his son Belshazzar at home in Babylon, safely behind the city walls, and he took off to confront the Medes and the Persians, and he got whipped. 
And as he got whipped, this, uh, the history, again, the consensus is a little bit when, when this exactly happened. Some speculate that it was two days before this account here in Daniel 5. So Belshazzar is being referred to the king, and technically he is, but he's, he, technically he's a prince, and technically he is the king. The reason why he is the king, his dad's dead, but he doesn't know it. And we're going to find out later on he's going to offer to make Daniel number three. In his mind, his dad, evil Murdoch, is number one. He's number two. And then Daniel would be number three. So as we go through these things, it seems to line up. And that's what I'm, the, the scenario I'm going with. And hopefully this will make sense as we start reading. The other thing is we're going to run into a situation where um, Belshazzar is going to get advice from the queen. And I think that queen is probably his mother. Because in this account, we're going to read that Belshazzar is drinking and all his wives are with him and they're getting drunk. And this queen's not there. She comes in after the fact. And I believe that it's probably his mother or it actually could be his grandmother. But based on the ages, that's very improbable, okay? So as this woman comes in and tells her son, Belshazzar, you need to talk to Daniel, she would have known him very well as opposed to this younger generation. So that, that's some speculation, some historian. A lot of it agrees with the Old Testament prophecy. So that's kind of the backdrop I want to present as we start reading this particular passage, Okay. So let's start reading, and I'm going to read the first four verses here. And it's not turning. Okay, let me start reading this. Uh, Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels, which his father Nebuchadnezzar, again, that would be his grandfather, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels and were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king... And his princes, his wives, his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. Now, as we read this, uh, I want to think of it from this standpoint. Uh, Belshazzar is, is a king over this province, but he is king over um, Babylon he just doesn't know it yet. Um, he is the number two guy at this point in time. So confident was Belshazzar in his city's defenses, he knows his dad went out to confront Medo-Persia, but he's sitting there having a great big banquet, a great big drunken banquet. And not only that, he brings all the officers of the city also. And he's basically leaving the gates unsupervised. That confident as he is in his defenses. And so drunk were Babylon's leader that when the siege came, they didn't even lift a sword. They were just drunken and out of it. Okay? So what has that got to do with us? Well, as we read this passage and we go forward, this is really a, a lesson in relevance. 
An overconfident nation underestimates their enemy's abilities and resourcefulness. Could that be true of America? I think so. Decadent consumption and sensuality dulled the nation's ability to react. Could that describe us? Yeah, I think probably so. What has worked in the past is not guaranteed to always work in the future. Could that be applicable to the United States? I think so. And then Belshazzar's generation spent little or no time speaking to the elder statesmen. You know what's going to happen here is in a little second, it's amazing that grandpa's number one advisor, there was no one that even came a close second to Daniel. Belshazzar had to be introduced to him. Never met him. He called for him. He was nearby, but he never met him. Isn't that something? Okay, so let's, let's do this, okay? Um, let's continue on. I'm going to start reading now in verse 9. We're still in Daniel 5. Let me read 5 through 9. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part that the hand wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote against one another. He was scared. Can you just see it? Pale, knees knocking. That's exactly what he was. Verse 7. The king cried aloud to bring in his astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, and the soothsayers. Then the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. Again, I'm still pretty convinced he thinks dad's still alive. He's number two, and he would offer this man with his kind of uh, interpreting ability to be number three. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor make known the king the interpretation. It was written in a language they didn't even know. Some guess it could have been Hebrew. Okay. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. They were just astonished. Can you imagine being at this great big banquet hall and all of a sudden there is this hand that shows up and starts writing on the plaster of the wall? Talking about a party downer. That's exactly what that was. So the Lord was a party crasher. He was an invited guest and a thousand big shots got to see God write on the wall. You know, the, the Lord, this is in Job eighteen fourteen. He he does send terror to those who reject him. And in John 8, 45, Daniel proved himself many times, but he was not Belshazzar's first call. Matter of fact, he didn't even know who he was. Belshazzar's advisor could not read, <laughs> read the words, let alone interpret. Yeah, this, this, got, this has got uh, parallels back to chapter 2 when there was a dream, and they didn't even know what the dream was, let alone interpret it. There's some writing on the wall, but they don't even know what the language is, let alone interpret it. So let's keep on going. I'm in Daniel 5, now in verse 10. Now the queen, (coughs) by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. See, again, look at this language. She's the queen. Um, I don't think it's Belshazzar's wife because they were already there drinking. And this 
particular queen is going to have intimate knowledge of Daniel, and I'll show that in a second, but she comes to this banqueting hall. And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom, and whom is the spirit of the holy gods. See that phrase, the spirit of the holy gods? That's what, Dan that's what Nebuchadnezzar kept on calling Daniel too, in the beginning, right? Was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar thy father, really thy grandfather, the king, I say, thy father made master of magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayer. You know, your grandpa made this guy, Daniel, he, 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 every time he was asked to interpret something, he came through and he was 100% accurate. So much so that your grandpa made him in charge of all the astrologers. He's still alive. And you're calling these guys that never helped out your grandpa. Okay, verse 12. For as much as an excellent spirit, in other words, he's just a plain old nice guy. Okay, he's not a political animal. You know, I wonder what he was doing all this time. Do you think he was at the golf course retired? I don't think so. I think he was still busy, but... The, the politicians of the time didn't have any use for him. He had an excellent spirit. He had knowledge. He had understanding. He could interpret dreams. And he could showing hard sentences, dissolving all of doubts, which were found the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now, 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 this is, look at this. I think this is cool. The queen does not call him by his Babylonian name. When we go back to last chapter in chapter 4, there was this great big conversion, and all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar came to the point where he said, he's the God. That one name that he had where he served a Baal God, she's starting to call him by his Jewish name again. And said, by the way, your dad used to call him Belteshazzar, but Daniel's the guy you want to talk to. She's referring to him the Jewish name. Let now Daniel be called, <clears throat> and he will show the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou Daniel? See, he didn't even know who he was. Which are of the children of the captivity, captivity of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought out of Jewry? He said, Are you the guy? Remember, he was the number one guy back when grandpa was around. Isn't that something? Now, the queen, again, th think about the age. At this point in time, when chapter 4 was done, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was near the end of his reign. So let's say he was about, let's say, 50 or 60 years old. This daughter would have been well into her 30s, maybe 20s, 30s. So she would have been well aware of what dad was going through. She would have known him. And she would have known that his dad made this man the chief wise man. She would have known him intimately. The queen knows his Babylonian name, but he also refers to him by his Jewish name. So Belshazzar calls for Daniel, but he must be introduced. Now, 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 now I just want to take time out, and if, if you want to read this, um, you can go back to Isaiah 44, verse 28. And also Isaiah 45 and verse 1. 
And the Bible's going to prophesy about 150 years before it happened that the Babylonian kingdom would come to an end and a man named Cyrus, a shepherd with humble roots, would come and conquer Babylon. 150 years beforehand, Daniel, who was privy to the Old Testament and and these, these writings, would have known that. Now, the queen did not know that, probably, but Daniel knew that. It's no surprise to God. All I can say is, history is in the hands of God. Nations are in the hand of God, and so are leaders. Okay? So, let's keep on going. Let's go to um, verse 17. No, i got to read 14. I'm still in uh, Daniel 5. Let me start reading 14. I have even heard of thee, <clears throat> this, is, this is, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding, excellent wisdom is found in thee. In other words, my mom just told me you're a pretty sharp guy, and you never failed my dad. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. Like grandfather, like son, amen? We've heard this story before. And I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretation and dissolve doubts. Mom told me you're good. Now, if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, we've got to think about this for a second. I find it really interesting that I think Daniel is pretty much aware that if he's made number three, he's made number three of nothing. Right? Babylon's going to get turned over tonight. And he's going to read this warning, and this warning is a judgment on Belshazzar. It's also a judgment on Babylon, and it's over. So he doesn't want the reward. He doesn't want the promotion, because it's a meaningless promotion, because the kingdom is kaput. But despite that, I don't think Daniel would be interested in those things anyway. Okay? So let's keep on going. Let's go to 17, Daniel 5 and verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing of the king and make known to him the interpretation. In other words, (coughs) I don't want your gifts. I don't want your promotions. But you know what? I'm going to read this thing anyway, and I'm going to tell you about it. O thou king, the most high God, you know what he's going to do? He's going to give him a little history lesson. He said, this is what he should have learned. Now, now I find it real interesting. Somehow in the history, it got passed down that there's treasures taken from Judah. So they knew about the treasures taken in Daniel 1 but they didn't know about Judah's God in Daniel 4. What was passed down was the wrong stuff. And think about what Belshazzar is doing. Do you remember, notice what it said? It said that he was having this banquet and his wives and his princes and his concubines. He was teaching his children, 
but he was teaching them the wrong thing too. He was teaching them to worship a, gold, a metal statue, a wooden statue, a stone statue. He was teaching them that. Okay. Verse 18. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom <coughs> and majesty and glory and honor. <coughs> and for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would slew and whom he would keep alive and whom he would set up and whom he would put down. He says, your grandpa was made emperor of basically the known world. And he says, God put your grandfather into that office. And he had ultimate power. If you wanted to kill someone, he had him killed. If he wanted to save someone, he had him saved. If he wanted to promote someone, he could promote him. If he wanted to demote someone, he did whatever he wanted. Okay? Belshazzar, you think you're pretty powerful. That's what your grandfather was. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men and his heart was made like the beast and his dwelling was as a wild asses and he fed with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men <coughs> and that he appointed over it whomsoever he will. <coughs> Your grandfather was the most powerful man on this entire planet. And God put him there. But the problem was, is one day he got full of himself, and because of that fry, pride, God put him through an incredible trial. And you know what he's about ready to do? He's about ready to say, you know that awful sin that your grandfather committed and the consequence of it? Well, you just upped the sin. You've just upped it one more step. And the consequence is going to be far worse than having to live in a field for about seven seasons. He says, it's coming. Okay? Once again, is there any parallels to modern-day America? Okay, that's what, we, what I've got to be looking at. Okay, let's go to verse 22. 22. <clears throat> okay? And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thy heart, thou, though thou knewest all this. In other words, look, look what Daniel's saying. Daniel, you knew what happened to your grandfather. I mean, that period of time where he absolutely lost his mind, you knew about that. And you knew that God did it to him and finally, when he came to his mind, he told everybody. I mean, I mean, he didn't. He, he was unashamed about sharing what happened to him and his conclusion to the matter. You knew all that, but yet you decided to go in a prideful way above and beyond anything your grandfather did. You knew it. You should have learned from that. This act of blasphemy 
of going into the temple and getting the, the articles of worship of Jehovah God and bringing it to a feast and drinking from it was the ultimate, that's enough. God just had enough. You have just defied that. And a lot of these vessels he used weren't even designed to drink from. You ever see on, 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 a, on, a, on an old movie or something when someone's really drunk and they pour some kind of drink into a boot and they drink out of a boot, right? Well, they were taking all kinds of cra- things you burn in and th- things you eat out of and things that uh, uh, collect blood, all that stuff. Drink was put in and people were drinking out of those. That was how defiled they were. You know, drunkenness really lowers inhibitions. And in this drunken stupor, he was just trying to up and go one more, one more, one more. Okay? Okay? Verse 23. But thou hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords and thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou glorified. You know, the God that holds your breath in his hands is the one you mocked. You actually just spit in his face and you defiled him. Then was the part of the hand sent from him and this writing was written. That was just the history lesson. We're going to get to the writing right now. (coughs) But we, we have to realize this. Ignorance comes in two matters. You can be ignorant because you were never told and you can be ignorant because you ignored what you were told. Belshazzar was the second. Daniel said, thou knewest all this. You were drunk, you were defiant, you were brazen, and you upped the offense that got Nebuchadnezzar into trouble. The God who holds your breath in his hands judged you guilty and condemned you. Okay? We're going to read the writing now. Okay, this starts in verse 25. And this was the writing that was written. Mini, mini, tekel, afharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mini, God has numbered thy kingdom and finished it. We can go back to Jeremiah 25, verses 11 through 12. And it tells us years before, before Babylon took over Judah that they would be in bondage for 70 years. God hath numbered thy kingdom. Guess what? It's 70 years. And finished it. This is it. Okay? We could also go to Daniel, and we knew that that golden, from the image, the golden head would be turned into a silver chest and arms. This is it. The transition is happening. Tekel, or tekel. Thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. In other words, God looked at what you're doing right now, and you're guilty. And you've got absolutely no excuse. You knew better, and you did it anyway. 
and you divide. Okay? Uh, Job 31 and verse 6. Let God weigh me. That's what it was. And then the last one, Perez. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Well, right outside the door, there was a alliance between the Medes and the Persians. And, and they'd been outside the city walls for some time. Matter of fact, uh, Cyrus had his engineers uh, diverting the Euphrates River. Now, now, let's take a second and think about this city that Belshazzar lived in. <clears throat> it was an absolutely amazing architectural feat that was done. The, the historians tell us that the outer wall was as much as 100 feet tall and 22 feet thick, enough for four chariots to ride abreast all the way around the city. And it was dug deep into the ground so you couldn't go under it, you couldn't go over it, or it was thick and you couldn't go through it. And not only that, there was uh, a space and then there was another wall and some say in some places there were three walls. And in between these great big walls, there were trenches and they could run water in there and, and make them moats and canals and make it so soaking wet that people couldn't. So it was an architectural absolutely phenomena for back in those days. And, and, and so confident were they in this wall that the Medes and the Persians were outside the wall and they didn't even set the guard because they trusted in that wall. For, that's all they ever knew. That's all they ever knew. So what happened was, is Cyrus got his engineers because he figured out how this city worked. And they had the Euphrates River that actually came through and underneath the wall and came into the city. So if the city was ever besieged, it was large enough and had a water supply that they could outlast anybody that surrounded them. Well, what Cyrus did is he was looking at that river and he says, I know a way in. I can't go over it. I can't go through it, but I can go under it. So he got his engineers and they were out there. The Medes and the, the, the Persians were digging and digging and digging and they rerouted the Tigris River. I'm mean, not the Tigris River, the Euphrates River. They rerouted it and they sent it around. So then what they did is they just walked right down that empty canal right into the heart of the city. And here are all the Babylonians in this great big drunken banquet. And all of a sudden they look up and the room is filled with the enemy. They never even lifted a sword. They were too drunk. And I find it interesting. <clears throat> in Proverbs 31, let me read a couple verses there. Proverbs 31. Let me go find that. There is a mother that's going to give her son, the king, some advice. Notice what that advice is. <clears throat> Proverbs 31, verses 4 and 5. Now, now again, this, I go back up to verse 1. This is the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. Mom taught him something. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink lest they drink and forget the law and pervert judgment of any of the afflicted. Too bad. Belshazzar didn't have a mom like that. 
But that was the case. So he's having this banquet, and, and, and he's confident in man's defenses, and someone outfoxed him. So thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians, and that's exactly what happened. You go back to Daniel 2, and you're looking at that silver part of the body. There's the two arms representative of the Medes and Persians. Here it is. This is what was forecasted or foretold. And again, I would encourage you to go read uh, Isaiah 13 and Isaiah 45. You will see this uh, um, being predicted there. Okay. Isaiah 13 and 17 says, I will stir the Medes against them. Talking about the Babylonians. Verse 29, Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Yeah, I find it interesting (coughs) that Belshazzar didn't repent. And he didn't beg Daniel to intercede for him. What he did is he rewarded him just like he wanted. That just like he offered. Daniel says, I don't want that stuff. And I don't know what Daniel did. I don't know if he took it. I don't know if, if, if he couldn't take it because he was still respectful of the king. I don't know when, when, when Darius comes marching in and, and, and he, he enters the throne room, did he take it off right away? I don't know what happened. But, but that was his response, was to reward him. I'm going to buy my way out of this. No, there's no buying your way out of this. Okay, let's read the last couple verses of the chapter, and then we'll make some concluding remarks. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius the Mede took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. So in comes Darius, 62 years old, and he waltzes right underneath the wall, to a drunken, sleeping city, and he busts in the king's chamber, and he slays him. What an end. So evidently, he was a king for maybe two days. Two days. From the time his father was slain to the time where he took the throne, and he didn't do very much kingly stuff except uh, ruin the city. So... um, The kingdom passed without battle to Darius and Cyrus. God prophesied the names and details of this overthrow. He foretold it all in Isaiah 13 and 45. History is God's story. Governments are his domain and governors are his choice. Okay, lesson learned from chapter 5. Number one, Nebuchadnezzar suffered the consequences of pride and wrote about it most unabashedly. It should have been in every history book. But what happens? What's the old saying from Winston Churchill? Those who don't learn from history are cursed to repeat it. Belshazzar was told it, but he didn't know it. I don't know. I would hope that our young people today would hear some of the great things that were done, let's say, during World War II. And instead of just dismissing it, they would try to find every veteran they could do that was still alive and go talk to them. What happened? How did you do it? Bill Shazar didn't do that with Daniel. Could some of this been avoided? Possibly. 
Number two, Daniel's track record was second to none, yet Belshazzar never tapped this valuable resource. Old people don't know anything. There's new ways. Oh, that was his thinking. No, that would never happen today, would it? Okay, drunkenness dulls senses. It lowers inhibitions and it overestimates self-sufficiency. I think we live in a a drunken culture. I think we overestimate our self-sufficiency. We don't realize, no, we're not self-sufficient. We're God-dependent. And we need to realize that. He's in charge of governments and he's in charge of leaders. We need to look to him. We need to humble ourselves. And then also, Belshazzar was far more interested in drunken banquets than in growth and maturity. He was going to show his people what a good time he was. So dad was out trying to face the enemy, and he was at home drinking. Do we tremble at God's word? I hope we don't tremble only when it's too late. Belshazzar came to tremble. I think everybody will come to tremble at God's word. The question is, is are you going to do it when it's too late? Let me finish with Isaiah 66 and verse 2. Isaiah 66 and verse 2. I'm turning there real quick. I'll start at verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at thy word. Babylon built themselves a home. They raided God's temple. They took the treasures from God's temple and then they abused them. That's not a man that humbles themselves. And God, on the other hand, says, give me the man that will humble himself and he's the one that I want to be with. He's the one that I will bless and he's the one that I will comfort and he's the one that I will call my offspring. So I pray as we read this chapter 5, we don't read it as just a neat lesson. We don't read it as just a bunch of stories that happened to those people back then. We learn. These are lessons for us to learn going forward. And I pray we can look at this and and, and, and start praying for our leaders that they would wise up, that we could start voting accordingly, that we could start uh, modeling it accordingly. But ultimately, who are we responsible for to our children and our children's children? And I pray we start teaching them right now. May the Lord bless you. Thank you.